I started out season one of Let's Talk HR in hopes of having great conversations about how we could help create best practices to attract, train, and retain people. What I found was that almost 90% of the time it is based on culture. And the only way to change culture, culture is to reach out to those who influence culture. Then I realized I was talking to all the right people to educate companies on how to change culture, but I needed to reach out to the influencers directly at companies. So if you are a business owner, HR, operations, it's time to tune in. Today, I wanted to give a recap of an amazing season one, running through some of the most favorite moments as well as moments that I will not forget because they touched my life. See, I believe that we learn, grow, and help others through experiences and stories of our adventures, sometimes failures, and success. And those stories live on and continue to educate others. Join me as I run through some of those favorite moments, favorite stories, greatest laughs, and sometimes tears. The first clip that I'm going to share with you today is Jonathan Heider. He was one of the most fun, enjoyable individuals to talk with because his laugh is probably the most infectious laughs I have ever heard. But he is one of the most authentic individuals who was willing to share with me so much and um, just a wildly brilliant individual that I can't wait to um, yeah, have you take a listen. I think the uh, uh, little clip that I have uh, speaks for itself. You know, sometimes it, it is offensive. There are times when like uh, in my when I used to have a manual wheelchair, I have a power chair now. But when I have a manual wheelchair and I'd push myself across the street, I did have handles on the back of the chair. And every now and then there would be somebody who like as I'm like crossing the street, somebody would just grab the handles and like start pushing me. And it frightened me. I mean, like you're basically, I'm going to say in control of some, somebody else is controlling you. And so in situations like that, you know, having a very kind, respectful, like, hey, I've got this, you know, that's a little disrespectful. It's like pretty much picking somebody up and carrying them across the street when they didn't ask to be. It's like kidnapping them in a sense. But, you know, it's, it's having that communication with them in a respectful manner to say, hey, you know, please respect my boundaries. Um, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but that is overstepping. Um, thank you for your assistance, but this is something I'm able to do. And so having those open conversations um, is huge because it shows that, like, again, humanization. You want to have a human contact with that person to say, hey, you know, these are my limitations and this is what I can and cannot do. And so I appreciate what your efforts are and your kindness, but this is something that I would feel more appropriate to handle myself. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I've never, I've never heard anybody describe it that way. Cause I'm assuming the, the person who did that was like, Oh, I'm going to help this person. But yeah, you basically, they're kidnapping you. I mean, <laughs> I guess I've never heard it. It would be equivalent to, you know, I, Oh, hi, I'm Leanne. I have bipolar disorder and somebody basically opening my mouth and shoving pills down it and go here, let me get you your medication. Well, wait, yeah, no, exactly. Wait, wait. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much like, okay, well, um, didn't ask for that, but thank you. <laughs> My story is I was actually born in Croatia in the city of Split. Um, I was born a quad amputee, so all four limbs were shorter due to birth. Um, no one knows exactly why. 
Um, and so I was given up at birth and at 16 months old, I was adopted by a family out of Green Bay, Wisconsin and came to the United States. Uh, growing up, I was this super high energy kid, like super ADHD, bouncing off the walls quite literally and jumping off of furniture, you know, you name it. And so needing it of an outlet, um, I got involved into sports. Um, that was a big thing, especially in our household in general. And swimming was the one that uh, really stuck with me. And so that one is the one that, you know, through my childhood took me not only to the national stage, but international stage as well as a Paralympic swimmer. Following my life as a Paralympic swimmer, I got into college and got into public speaking even more with an agency. Eventually went independent, launching my own business and worked as in architecture for about three and a half years. Episode 11, this clip with Terry. I had to share this clip because even when I listened to it back, I remember that at one time we almost had to stop recording because we were laughing, laughing so hard at the faces that we were making at each other. Terry is a business owner of the Unstuck Duck Coaching. She brings so much energy, light, and laughter to any conversation. Interesting. Yeah, the words we use, are, people underestimate the words that we use. Yep. Very much so. And some of them, some of the words we use, like I even think about, you know, kids these days, kids these days, um, totally dating myself to like, wow, <laughs> wow, that's sick. Is it? Is it really? I feel like that's not a very good connotation for a really good thing because, right. you, you know, or even like, wow, you killed it. I'm just reading um, Everyday Killed Hero. What? Should I be should I be calling uh, you know a exactly. something to come and pick up the carcass? <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean, even think like narrowing it down. The top three that I'm always working on with my clients are: I want, you know, I have to. If you're saying you have to, you're standing in a victim mindset because that means your circumstances are in charge of what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. If you have to do it, we have a choice no matter what. I have to pay my mortgage. I don't have to pay my mortgage. I like to pay my mortgage because I would rather have a roof over my head. I choose to pay my mortgage because it's going to get me what I want in like where I live. Right. Mm. I don't have to, I don't have to, I get to, I choose to. And the other one is I need to like the word need literally has lack in it. Like it's like, it's like I need is coming from a sense of, of lack. It's coming from a sense of I don't have that thing. So I need that thing. Interesting. Right? I mean, it's different when you're like, wow, I really need to, I need to take an Advil. Well, I, you can go take an Advil, right? Like <laughs> it means, it basically, it means that I have a, a situation that needs remedying, right? Right. And if we switch up those, just those two words and, and should, I mean, I should is not allowed in mine, in my entire repertoire, but to, I get to, I have, I, I want to, I'm choosing to, because if I say I want to do something, there's a little voice inside my head that says, do you want to? Hmm. Wow. You know what? I really don't want to, <laughs> I'm going to make a, make a choice here and do something different. <laughs> that I actually want. So that's where I always start with my right. clients. Like, do you need to, you have to, no, you either get to, you should, you, you, sorry, not should you get to, you want to, you choose to, you are going to whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It just takes the power back. It's all about empowerment that in right there is empowerment to me.
being able to say, you know what, it's totally my choice, whatever happens. I didn't choose to get cancer, but I have a choice what I make out of it. Right. I chose to get treatment. I chose to get all, you know, I had a say in it. Very interesting. You don't have a choice is what moment you keel over and die. That's the only thing you don't have a choice in. Well, some people take that choice into their own hands, but generally. It, and all of the, everything you said is so interesting because there are so many times where I'm like, oh, I have to do this. And you're, you're right. When you say you that, like even looking at your shoulders, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I have to do this. Like, it's just this, like, ah, I like to try to like characterize and like, really, how does that feeling make you like, if you were to act that out, like, did you ever do improv in, in school and drama class or something? Did you ever do anything like that? Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> right? Well, when you're, when you're on stage, yeah. they're like, okay, look angry. Your whole body goes into that. Like, cause somebody at the back mm-hmm. of, the, of the auditorium needs to be able to see that you're angry and not just be like, you know, grumpy face. <laughs> so <laughs> I wish you, people could see us right now. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to like put words into what my facial expressions are doing. <laughs> but like, if you, if you actually wear the, oh, of I have to, or I need to, like, like, it's just, (laughs) I can't wait to listen to this back. But anyway, it's all good. (laughs) This clip is with Betsy Clark, another very, very strong woman who is another coach. She takes a very different approach. She considers herself to be a mindset chaplain, very authentic. Uh, she has an amazing story and, and what a wonderful conversation, uplifting, and I learned so much from her. So I was excited to share this clip with you. What year were you born? 81. 81. Okay. You would never uh, use a computer from 1989, would you? <laughs> would you? Uh, no. Right. It's laughable. But you know what, Leanne? That's exactly what we're doing. We are using an outdated operating system mm-hmm. because we're going back to how we were conditioned right. and all of those things about comparison. I talked about that with you. It takes a it's like we're wet cement, right? Have you ever seen a sidewalk of wet cement? Yeah. And something comes and makes a deep impression. Mm-hmm. And that's what our mindset is when we're between five and eight or nine. And it can take a lifetime to fill those deep impressions that are lasting, that form our worldview. And we fill them with the right things. And so if I were using an operating system from when I was five or six, I would think I was the dumbest person on the face of the planet. Because that's all I ever heard is, Betsy, you're so stupid. And boy, are you ever sensitive? Well, the truth of the matter is, those are my strengths. I'm really high in empathy. And that's one of my superpowers. And so I upgraded the operating system. And I'm using a paradigm that serves me, that's accurate, that's updated, so that I can go out and do what only I was designed to do. If you are really strong at something, do we, do we, should we be out there working on our weaknesses or should we just play to our strengths? Oh, I got an answer for that one. So, so here's the thing. When we are working on our strengths, it's counterintuitive. I feel like we manage our strengths to go back and use your word. 
But when we try and fix our weaknesses, we get into that fixing mentality. And the truth of the matter is, in my humble opinion, the only thing that needs to be fixed are stray cats and dogs. People do not need to be fixed. And that really goes and that falls in line with what I've grown up thinking, which is play to your strengths. Right. And and so here's the thing is there's there's a continuum of your strengths. You can be um, immature in your strengths and you can be very mature. And so I show my clients what that can look like. So if you use a scale of one to 10 and the tipping point would be 5.6, if you use that, that measure, you know, you check in and you say, okay, I'm high in strategic. Am I so over strategic that I'm getting into, you know, analysis paralysis and I'm strategizing too much. I'm not acting. Mm -hmm. That would be strategic. That's probably immature and, um, you know, not disciplined. So teaching my clients what that spectrum looks like, you can check in and say, oh, on a scale of one to 10, strategic is running the show and she's running it at about a 3.5. How do I take it from a 3.5 and move that to a 5.6? So I get to the tipping point. So strategic is really a beautiful strength and I can leverage the crud out of it to get the results that we long for. So I'm not saying that your strengths are gonna be the end all. There's gonna be a variation in that. But what I do is I teach people to look at their top five strengths like an amplifier. Path is a roller coaster. If you are riding with the right people, it's not as scary. Roger from episode 15 was lucky enough to have the right people Um, riding with him that allowed him to find his way and now is a speaker on emotional intelligence. This is a great clip, so check it out. We're coming to time, so I'm going to ask you the question of the season. If you could pinpoint a time period in your career that made a huge difference in in your life or your career path, when would that be and why? Yeah, what a great question for the season. Uh, I applaud that. Uh, For me, I got to tell you, it was when I took a uh, an assessment. It was called uh, Managing Personal Growth. This was while I was in uh, corporate. So I took Managing Personal Growth about 10 to 15 years ago. And uh, it was, a, it was a, a, an assessment, an instrument that my manager and I took. Uh, and the course was about identifying my values and the skills required to do the work that I was doing as a project manager. And I... My answer is honestly as I could. So I love the part about values. It's where I found out about, you know, I value freedom. I I, I value pleasure. I enjoy experiences. That was a great part. The fun part was when uh, the the magic behind the scenes crossed the skills with what my manager said my job should be and uh, what I answered. (laughs) There was only a 5% overlap. (laughs) And I was like, huh, (laughs) this ought to be a fun conversation. Oh, wow. Yeah, and thank goodness I had a very kind manager, uh, Brenda. She, I, I, she, she said, "I'm not surprised," and uh, I thought, "Wow, that's great." So we immediately we had a very kind conversation. So the aha moment for me, the big difference was I was doing work that was not fulfilling me, and it was a pivotal moment because it set me on a path to say, "Well, what kind of work do you enjoy?" 
it stopped me from saying I should be doing X, I should be making X amount of money, I should, 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 right? You know, we know about what happens when you should on yourself. So uh, I, I thought, okay, she said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to get up in front of people and train. I want to, I want to, I want to see light bulbs go off. I'm, you know, I want them, I want them to feel like, you know, uh, that, that they make a difference, right? How do I go about doing that? I was just very broad with it. And she said, well, let's get you on a path to do that. And we started and um, it took me, it, it took me another uh, three, four years before I finally listened uh, to the advice there. I was real, I was my own personal barrier, but, but that time taking that assessment, finding my values and realizing that there were some good things that I, that I could do as a project manager. I mean, I, I was a good project manager. I just didn't enjoy doing some of the stuff. Uh, so I took what I enjoyed out of it. Like I said earlier, facilitating, being able to work a room, uh, being able to identify barriers, work with people. And that's when I started on my journey to figure out how to make a career out of it. And, start my own business. That's amazing. Now, you said she wasn't surprised. Right. How surprised were you? I, you know, it's interesting. That's a great question, Leanne. Uh, I, I don't think I made room for surprise. I was so fearful at the time that I was going to get fired, um, that I was going to get found out that uh, I, you know, that somebody was going to realize that I really didn't enjoy this kind of work. And that I, so how surprised was I? Um, if I look back on it, I would have to say I was uh, not very, <laughs> you know, looking back on it when it, I, when it started listing out the things that, you know, I need that were highly valued in the, in the work and how much I enjoyed compared to how much I enjoyed them. That was not a surprise. So honestly, I can tell you right now, it wasn't that much of a surprise. This great clip is with Denise and Chelsea from episode 14. I met Denise over a year ago and was immediately drawn to her. She is an amazing, she has an amazing energy. Um, I was later introduced to Chelsea, whom I found out was actually um, also connected to my aunt, whom was her teacher or one of her teachers in high school. But I fell in love with their cause and I think that they're just two incredible women and I wanted to share a clip that I had. Okay, question of the season, because we are coming to time. Chelsea, why don't you go first? Yeah, well, I'm really just going to say the same thing that we said at the opening. You know, Denise coming to me and saying, do you think it's a good idea to make a movie about autism for kids without autism? That was it. Um, you know, I, at, I was at a point where I could have gone back to doing PR writing. I love to write. I really do. I enjoy it. And I could have done that for the company that I worked for before I started my family, certainly, or I could have done it freelance for a number of different PR companies. And um, it's just, it, it, having two kids with autism made me realize that this was a calling and I just couldn't figure out where it was coming from or what it was gonna look like. So, you know, Denise approaching me in 2007 with the idea um, that eventually became Good Friend was definitely it. Awesome. What about you, Denise? Well, to not sound redundant, because that is also <laughs> probably mine, but I, I, I think I, it has to go back to the, when my son was diagnosed at three, um, that's 20 years ago, I, there was no one that had autism that I knew of in my family, my husband's family, I had no experience with that. Um, my path was 
art and fine art and exploring that and then was able to stay home with my kids. Um, so I was going to get right back into the creative side once they were full time in school. And when my son was diagnosed at three, that was a huge pivotal point for me because I was like, what is this? What does this mean? Now I've got to figure all of this out. And I have two other kids that need to understand it as well. Um, so for me, it was the diagnosis at three. Sometimes life brings people together for a reason. And clearly it brought the two of you together so that you could create Good Friend Inc. and spread your amazing educational mm -hmm. program and amazing goodwill to the rest of the world so that, you know, and what, 56, 54,000 students? 56,000. 56,000. Okay. Ellie and Ruben from episode three was such a, a an amazing uh, episode. It proves that sometimes our destiny finds us. However, it is those who choose to walk through the door of destiny that make the biggest impact to those around them. Both Ellie and Ruben have amazing stories and you should definitely check out their full episode. I was like, I was like, I don't understand how a guy so smart and you're smarter than me doesn't have nothing to show for. I see your friends, a lot of here, a lot of them are here because they re-enter illegally into this country. They're getting deported, but they have houses, they have restaurants, but you don't have nothing to show for. And that right there, I think later on that night was the first time I actually cried while I was in prison. I went and I was laying in my bunk and tears just started rolling out my eyes because it was like, why am I here? Like, I didn't get raised like this. And I asked myself like, why don't, why, why? You know, and that's, I, and I just came to the conclusion that, you know, all my life I was told I couldn't do stuff because I grew up, I grew up with a single mom. She had, we had, uh, she had five kids. My older brother was mentally handicapped, grew up in the, in the ghetto, in the poor, worst neighborhood in El Paso, Texas. Uh, we uh, barely often had food to eat, but there was always love. But so, but I was always told I couldn't do something. So I told myself that I would never again allow anyone to tell me that I couldn't do something. And that's when I wrote like my first quote that to remind me that I can does not exist. It is an excuse we tell ourselves to not reach our true potential. There's nothing, you know, it might take me longer to get somewhere because maybe I might not learn as quick, but I'll eventually get there. If doing the right things, I will get there. And, and that was the first major turning point of my life when I said, you know, I wrote down that quote and I said, you know what, I want to be a case manager when I get out. I want to show people that our mistakes do not define who we are, but what we do after them. I want to show them that, you know, this, this is not us. There's more to us and we can still give more. I had looked at my resume and said, are you crazy? Like, there's no way I'm going to put you in the kitchen washing dishes. Like, I need you. I understand, you know, your past experience and all of that, that, you know, the, the, the history of incarceration, but you're a leader. You're, you're going to, you know, I, I need you to go into management with this organization. And then lo and behold, um, spent over a decade with this organization had to travel all over the world. I mean, it was just just a mind-blowing experience to have someone validate me at my lowest point. Um, and, and so, you know, that was really a, a big turning point uh, to be accepted into that space and be given 
uh, the opportunity to bring other people on board with this organization. And then the other piece that really tied all this together, as I mentioned, was, um, you know, when my wife started asking me to speak about my upbringing uh, and my subsequent incarceration, uh, and, and all of that at her, uh, for her classes, that's what it really tied in, like, this is how I want to give back in this space. And so um, those, those are really the, the turning points that have put me here before you and with Ruben. Um, Ryan from episode 12 was an awesome conversation. The two clips that I am sharing really show the reality of business ownership, as well as what working for an amazing company can do for someone. You work for a small business, Leanne. You wear a lot of different hats. You sweep the floors, you sign the checks, whatever you need to do to get, get the job done. There I learned quite a bit. You know, you're working for your family's business, you're in charge of sales, you're in charge of payroll, all of these things. But I also was shielded from, from the outside world because I was working for my family's business. So I had this false sense of confidence um, leaving my family's business. I, I thought nothing could go wrong simply because nothing had gone wrong. And then I opened up another business. And that, uh, that's where I learned the school of hard knocks, where I wasn't destined for success just because I've had some. You've constantly got to rethink how you're doing things, constantly be learning. And I... I lost that. And so the, the, the business that I started, uh, it didn't go well. And so um, that business closed and I'm married. I have a baby on the way and a baby already born. I'm looking at my wife thinking, what are we going to do? What they opened my eyes to was the way I was doing things before. I didn't have to always do them that way. There are different ways to do this job. There are different ways to engage in commerce, there are different ways to open up your business world and serve your clients. And I wanted in, I wanted a part of it. So they, the Vaco culture, the Vaco mantra, it, it empowered me to be able to um, look for people that play this game the way I do. You, Mike, Kelly, Amy, bring you all in um, and just let you go. Be free to go do what you need to do. One of the things we say around here, Leanne, is work hard and stay free. If you understand that, you don't need a manager. What you need is someone that can solve problems with you as they arise. Amy of episode 22. Um, here are two clips, amazing clips, that really show so much about Jamie. Sometimes all it takes is for someone to tell us an opportunity is knocking and that you have to open door one or two in order for our true potential to explode. It was actually being fired by Jamie. <laughs> I love it that you was, put it that way. It, it was. I mean, she, she literally told me she was firing me. She's also my life coach. So she's like, I wouldn't be a good life coach or a good boss if I kept you on. But it was and she was serious. She was like, you've got one week to decide and that's it. You're done. And I knew that I needed to do it, but I wasn't yet taking ownership of the fact that it was okay for me to move on and okay for me to not want to settle. I'd also been offered this other position and I was interviewing with them as well. And I was like, I've never turned down a job before, but that is not ideal for me. It just wasn't exactly what I wanted. And so 
it was this really freeing moment of, hey, I'm fired as a nanny, so I can't stay there. No matter what, I have to make a change. Do I want to go and stay in that realm or do I want to actually take what I think that I'm passionate about? And it was this forced choice of, I have the choice to leave behind the mindset that I've had and leave behind this poverty mentality and actually step into something that where I make a lot more, which is scary because when you're in that poverty line, you know, if you make a certain amount, all the programs are cut out from underneath of you. Mm -hmm. And that was what it was. I was faced with this decision of, am I going to leave behind poverty, which I don't know how to do. Nobody in my family is left behind poverty. And I get to have a career. Nobody in my family has a career. And it was at that moment that I had a choice to make. And she coached me in a beautiful way. And Kevin did too. Jamie was basically like, nope, you would not like this other job that you've been offered and you know it and you shouldn't take it. And Kevin was like, no, you can take whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to. If it's this other job and you feel that that's where you need to go to further yourself and your own business of coaching, then do it. And I was like, having that freedom and those two different mindsets of it being like, it's okay for whichever choice gave me the peace to be able to make the best decision for myself and to learn my own value. And to the point where from six months, I was a nanny to the general manager. I was nanny manager. And then they offered me, they created a general manager position because of how great I was at this one store that they wanted me to take the entire brand and do it. And so it was at that moment of being fired that my entire career path, my entire outlook on employer-employee relations totally shifted. That is, wow, that's amazing to have what, it kind of sounds like the the devil and the angel on your shoulder. And I know yeah, that, basically. right, but, and I know that neither one, both of them were, were talking to you and, and l- helping you go make a decision for the best outcome. Yep. So it's not really the yep. devil. It's more like. No, they were both supporting me just right, in different ways. Right. The, the, I don't know, the angel and the, I'm not sure, but. It, it's, just, it's, it's just the two facets. It's your favorite thing about yourself. The most amazing thing is that is the hardest question for people to answer. Mm-hmm. It is. What? They will always answer what they want to improve on. Mm-hmm. They will always give you that answer because they're so used to selling themselves short. Right. And so I, I try to encourage each one of my employees, each one of the people that come in as you are amazing. This is who you are. This might not be a right fit, but it doesn't mean you're rejected. It means that you're valued somewhere else, that you bring something to the table that no one else does. We just don't have the position for it. But here you go. Here's what you should do. Right. I We, we could talk for hours about all of this. Uh, this yeah. is the stuff that like gets me going. And I'm like, yes, I'm so tired of people selling themselves shorts and women in particular. Oh, are, absolutely. You, if you have right. the skills, if you have the, the experience to back it up, there is nothing mm-hmm. wrong for asking what you're worth. I and, totally agree. I think yeah. that what I see a lot when I hire a man or I have an interview with a man, a lot of times they're not afraid to ask for more. I've actually never had a woman tell me that she needed to make more unless she'd been in the workforce for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like someone who was like 30 years my senior, she was like, I need this much to, to make a living. I was like, unfortunately, that's out of our budget. I think that you're worth it. 
but the position that we have just wouldn't work for that. Right. But men are typically, they just come in and say, I'd like to make this much. Mm-hmm. If you like eight out of 10 times, if you just say, this is how much I'd like to make and you're just calm with it, you're probably going to get it. it. I mean, if it's not outrageous, if it's a dollar or two more, you, there's a good chance you'll get it. If it's $5 more, not for this position, but other positions, yes. I find that men don't have as much of a fear around saying, this is what I'd like to make. Right. Versus women who are like, they want to be liked and they want to be seen as valuable, but they don't yet see themselves as valuable a lot of times. Right. Not it's when the, it comes financially. It's that imposter syndrome that, that we still, yes. yeah. So, I mean, I struggle with that. <laughs> and I, oh, oh, some, I, I still, there are still times that I struggle with that. Yep. You know, where I'm like, if, if I get up in front of these people or if I give this presentation, are they going to find value in what I'm saying? Are they going to, am I really mm-hmm. the expert in this as time has gone by and more people are like, wow, you're really knowledgeable in this. And I'm like, I am. Oh, yeah. No, right. I mean, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Why do we I need am. validation for that? Why do we need somebody to say, yes, right. you're good at this? When we when we actually know it, that's why you're doing what you're doing, why right. you're bringing such a valuable light to this topic. And you know what you're talking about, but why do we need somebody else to say it? It's Correct. because we've been so conditioned for so long to say our value is in other people. Mm-hmm. And I try to shift that viewpoint. I'm like, you guys are amazing and I'm going to affirm you all day long, but you have to understand that it, it doesn't matter what I think about you. It doesn't matter. What do you think about you? Where right. do you want to be thinking about yourself? Yep. And how do we get there? Yep. Episode six, Kevin White. He is so open and so honest with his story of recovery from addiction. Um, this has led him to coaching others um, and his podcast, Business Addicts. And I wanted to share a short clip to how genuine he was with me um just just an amazing um conversation definitely check it out behind everything i told you is the story of my addiction right so starting when i was a kid so um i was uh, and i can confidently say now but like basically it was a long journey in the last i would say six years away from addiction but Um, with different stages that I could identify for you but so I was uh, a porn addict that started when I was a kid and something happened to me that was fairly similar a lot of guys that I've talked to have been exposed to that type of material very young no big deal right like it's like part of life so why was I interested in it well when you dig in and kind of the work that I've done in the healing process is I was exposed I was vulnerable to it because I, I just moved to a new uh, school. I think I'm naturally curious. I'm possibly a little more, have a more open to addict, addictive personality than other people possibly. Mm-hmm. Our main problem is shame about coming out and saying, hey, I'm an addict, right? And that's why I, I don't want to get help. So the biggest thing is if you can tell someone and if you can tell someone that already knows what you're going through, that's great as well. But if you want to make a change in your life and, and I'm speaking to someone that, that is affected by addiction, tell someone, all right? Just get the courage to tell someone. What you find is we're all human. We all make mistakes. And most of the time, 
people want to be there for you. It might not be that they can help you, but they might know someone that can. So I think it's important to, to just get over that. It's going to hurt. It's painful, shameful. It's a thing, but you're going to feel so much better when you start to, to heal from it. Thank you. I mean, being with Ashley from episode 13 was amazing. She was so authentic with me and open, but also reminds all of us that we are all so much more than just one thing. And we have to take care of ourselves first before we can help others. And then it was at Marquette that I developed my eating disorder, had to go home, went to community college for a little bit. And then um, I think when a lot of people get out of treatment right away, it's like, I want to save the world. I want to share my story. And I want to, I want people to think that they can be better because of my sharing. And I think that I feel like right now it's almost like a, I mean, I'm so glad that people are sharing their stories, but it's almost like I feel like social media kind of pushes people to overshare their stories when no one needs to share more than they want to. Mm -hmm. So when I first got into psych, you know, just studying it in, in school, I loved it. But then when I got out and I got my first job, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. This isn't for me. And you hear a lot of those stories too. a lot of people too, as well as in substance abuse recovery, um, they're, you know, recovered or sober, clean and sober for a few months and they go right away into recovery coaching. And then they end up relapsing because they're not ready to, to hold that space for others because that space hasn't been held for them for so long. Um, so I learned that very quickly. And so I was like, I don't want to be a therapist, but I do love, you know, working with this population, but what can I do that's, you know, kind of a step away. And that's when I found the yoga, teaching yoga and doing the yoga therapy, if you will. And then um, I just kind of fell into the outreach marketing side of behavioral health. And I do miss, miss engaging with patients a lot, but I feel like this is the perfect place for me because I still get human connection, like all of the days that I work, but it's not the same, you know, it's different. So if I have a tough day, I'm just, I'm meeting with people, you know, as people and people that I'm not working with through Rogers, but it's not like I'm hearing their full story. And it's not like their story that I'm hearing. It's the stories of their patients. So there's a, there's more of a disconnect there, but not, a, not a bad disconnect, but a, a healthy one. Does that make sense? Yes. Too, when people know that I work for a facility like this, they are, they're people that I haven't talked to in years are calling me like, I have this going on and I just need to someone to talk to. And I'm like, okay, thank you for sharing three paragraphs, and, but I'm not that person for you. I can give you resources, but I think it's again, holding that, that boundary in a stiff line, like this is my job. I am so much more than, than that. You know, this is what I do for work. And I, you know, I do a lot of other things. I think I had mentioned before too, like I have a, a minor in fine art. So I, you know, I'm a creator too. So I'm not just, I'm not just Ashley from Rogers. I'm Ashley, who's also an artist, who's also a person, who's also a lover of, of life and not the outdoors and animals. Like I have so many other things that are a part of me that I feel like people fail to see. You know, what I, you said that in my head flash to, you know, you walk into a room and you introduce somebody to, oh, doctor, heart surgeon. And they're like, oh, doctor, I've got this uh, pain in my chest. That is so typical of, you know, you, you meet somebody and you're like, oh, you do that. Oh yeah. Oh, 
can I talk to you? And you're so right. So often people see the, and then it, this just came into my head. Here's the, the ADHD thing. Um, you know, you see a financial accountant and you go run the other way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. And, and I don't have anything against financial accountants. Not at all. It's just, you know, you, do I want to talk about all my finances? And No, that's horrible. But I have an awesome financial um, account team that I work with. Um, anyways. But yeah, that that is you hear, oh, you work for and then you know somebody who has struggling with anxiety or and then all, th- you're right. They're going to go oh, maybe you could help me with this. And they're going to forget everything else that you are. So yeah, I can imagine that that is, that's frustrating. That the conversation, this clip was so impactful for me. I um, will share that. When I listened to it back um, after recording it, I actually did break down and uh, cry. Um, I was able to hold it together during the actual recording, but it was such a profound story of what life truly is. It's a series of events, and sometimes they're very much out of our control. Um, and that leads us to where we need to be in life. So take a listen. Kind of an important piece of life for me, right? So when you ask me what's something that made a huge difference, this is the first question that came to mind. But yeah, I did write an article about it. There was a, you know, there was part of the injury. It was really physical. Um, I was, I was stopping a shoplifter and the shoplifter shot me. So they pulled out a gun. They didn't want to stop that day. They shot me. I I mean, thank goodness. I'm okay. I survived. You know, that injury came with a lot of physical pain, a lot of physical challenges. It also came with um, a lot of emotional challenges and a lot of, a lot of emotional fallout um, and psychological challenges and PTSD and um, working through that. Um, that part was harder than the physical part. So, um, so yeah, the injury that took six months to, to get me ready to go, even try going back to work, um, that happened the day after that interview that I mentioned. So it, when it comes to, you know, how employers look at people, how they think about people and, you know, getting the right person there for the right job and things like that, those moments were, you know, incredibly impactful in my, in my life, in my experience, in my story, and reinforced so much of what we, we talk about at HumanWorks, what we believe in at HumanWorks, where all those beliefs came from. Um, so I'm in a unique position right now where I get to work with companies to instill the kind of values that made a very profound difference for me. That's awesome. And you know, people like you and and me were driven by something that has impacted our lives, which makes it that much more important and impactful in the way that we that we do things. And I applaud you for sharing that. Dylan from episode 19. After listening back to the clip many times, I came to realize how beautiful it really is. Dylan, who helps others through their struggles now um, as a coach. Uh, spends much time on TikTok reminding people the value of life. Once consider taking his own life, but listening to his words and the way that he speaks them, you would never know it. Starting a business, writing a book, you know, becoming a social media influencer after an entire lifetime of being an introvert and not wanting to talk to people, that has created 
a human being in me that has, has never been able to see value like I can now. Um, and, and being able to expose my thoughts, my feelings, my, my knowledge, my wisdom, you know, and, and, and yet I retain my humility as much as I can by, you know, just by out of who I am, I, I, I'm not the best, I'm not the brightest, but I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to stop. I'm always going to do what I think is, is right. Um, it's, it's given me a perspective on life that is, I think, absolutely beautiful. Even on my hardest days, I find beauty in the world. I find beauty in myself and, and joy and happiness. And, and I'm, I'm still empathetic towards everything, but I'm also able to, to withstand the, the brutality of, of life. And I, I'm happy with that. Episode nine. This clip is, is awesome. Uh, it's with Hannah Paul. I think the clip truly speaks for itself. Well, we are almost at time, but I have one more question. The question of the season, and you probably have actually a couple of examples of these just from talking, to, talking yeah, with you, but I have a lot to say. <laughs> if you could pinpoint a time period in your career that made a huge difference in your life or career path, when would that be and why? To be honest, it was meeting a patient of mine and I can't use her first name, so we'll call her Jen. I met Jen in California and Jen's story changed my entire life, not just my career. And it made me see the world, not through rose colored glasses, that I have a purpose here and it is to spread light and to also spread light and shine light where people are lacking in putting humans first and that there's systems and processes in place that are keeping things the way that they are where people are hurting. And so this patient made me see that I'm here to make change and I'm here to do it in a graceful way. I'm not here to take a you know grenade and throw it and be like, boom, let's uh, see what catastrophe we can stir up here. But how can we work together, all of us, with systems we already have in place to make the world a better place? And, and I think it's a great place. You know, there's a lot of beautiful things happening in this day and age, but that patient without going into it changed my life and what I wanted to do. And I just felt this inner power, this inner, inner drive, this intuition screaming at me and going, you are not here to be at the bottom. You are here to be with people that are influencers and here to make change and, and make people feel safe with change, excited about change. And so I would say that was it. And, and that's when I, with being around the tech scene, I knew I needed to step out of my current position uh, because I wasn't gonna be able to have a voice there specifically where I wanted to impact people in all industries, not just one. May I ask you a simple question? Yes, I'll try to give a simple answer. Was it something she said or was it something she did? It was the way, it was her story of how she grew up and what happened to her as a child and as a teenager and her not having the right support and love from her family and hearing that whole story and how it played and impacted 
the rest of her life where she was then disabled at the age of 30 for the rest of her life when she could have lived a life much more fully, much more healthy and actually lost her this week. But I'm so glad she's not in pain anymore and she's not suffering and her family and I remain very close. And I told her the last thing I said to her was, you changed my life. And we said we loved each other and said goodbye. And I always called her girly. And that's how I said goodbye. It's like, I'll miss you, girly. Thank you very much for sharing that. It's amazing how, as humans, a simple story can impact us in such a profound way. Yeah. It obviously goes beyond words. But that is the human connection, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.